the next sports executive in the history of organized sport who professes to not care at all about having prospects will be the first. And there's a reason for that. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Kyle Dubas hasn't said too many things since taking over as president of hockey operations that I would put in the surprise category. Uh, He's been who he was in Toronto. He comes across as being open, honest, even forthright, uh, almost, almost in a Jim Rutherford-ish way. And that's refreshing after several years of Ron Hextall really wanting nothing at all to do with any kind of public speaking. But if there's one One thing that he said that kind of jumped out at me where I went, whoa, it was when he stated unequivocally that he doesn't see what he has to build here as being counterintuitive to building up a prospect system. He doesn't want to give up first round picks. He doesn't want to give up any high picks. He doesn't want to give up his prospects. Now, you can say that. Rutherford would say that, and he'd almost mean it, but then something would come along and poof, there went the first rounder and the next first rounder, and let's throw in a second rounder or another second rounder to boot. The Penguins would show up on draft day not having a pick until like the third day his scouts could sleep in on day one, and then more amusingly than anything else, he would try on the draft floor to get a pick back just because it was embarrassing for him to have all these scouts at the table who had nothing to do. Well, I think Dubas is genuine. I get the sense that Dubas is genuine when he says that he'd like to build up the system. And of course, again, why wouldn't he like to? But keeping those picks and keeping those prospects. Yesterday, Team Canada announced that 111 players were brought to what they refer to as their summer meetings. It's more of an orientation session. Uh, Everybody gets to know everybody. Of course, they don't send 111 players or even more than 20% of that to the actual World Junior Championships in December, but they see it as a, a camaraderie thing and, for that matter, a way for their program to keep up with programs such as those in Finland and Sweden and and Czechia and Slovakia where their national teams can stick together for months out of the year. Well, two of those 111 players were Owen Pickering and Braden Yeager. And man, I don't remember the last time the Penguins had anyone involved in these things. I'm talking about for any country. And I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there's the occasional Swedish goalie and whatever without getting into too many specifics here. But just seeing two guys out of the 111 was a welcome change. And it would be a further welcome change if and when either Pickering or Jaeger were to, you know, make it 
get to Wilkes-Barre Scranton, uh, produce something, blossom into something, arrive in Pittsburgh with at least a little bit of fanfare. Who was the last prospect that arrived here where everyone went, whoa, it's so-and-so's debut tonight. I can't even think of a name. Can you? Don't say Sam Poulan or something like that. Nobody even knows that Sam was already up. Look, I know better than to get into comparing really any major professional sports leagues because their circumstances are so different. But in being around the Steelers yesterday in particular, they had their reporting day for training camp out in Latrobe. And seeing the huge age swing between the players that I would talk to, whether it was someone in his mid-30s, like a Cam Hayward or whatever, or somebody who was just like right out of school. And, and again, I, look, I'm not dumb. I know the differences. But imagine if the Penguins just had some of that, just a taste of that, where you have, you know, your Sids and Genos and your Tangers, maybe not even this coming season, but in the season after that, where you could see and form the next wave of the franchise. You could groom them, as Brian Dumoulin was saying in a recent interview out of Seattle, to do things the Sidney Crosby way. I mean, I think there'd be more than just aesthetic value to it. I think you could see a situation that was somewhat similar to what happened in 2016 and 2017, although, you know, Brian Rust and Jake Gensel and those guys, when they came up, were pretty good players right on the spot, and they weren't exactly sneaking up on anybody. The Penguins really liked them and their development before their respective arrivals in Pittsburgh. But you could see a push, a jolt, some energy, you know, the polar opposite of the stuff that we saw most of last season, when it just looked like Everybody was old. Everybody was flat. Everybody had no real extra push. So, yeah, I hope Dubas can somehow pull it off. I hope he can keep the prospects that he has. I hope he can keep the top picks that he has. And I hope, in turn, that he and his scouts, whoever they might be in the future, I don't know that he's done in that regard, can pick some really promising high-ceiling types and groom them properly, and get them to Pittsburgh in good working order. But again, it's easy for me to say that. It's easy for him to say that. And at the same time say, well, we're committed to Sid. We're committed to winning another cup, and we're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. When we come back, J1Q... Today's J1Q comes from Jeremy, who says, BK, I'm counting chickens, I know, but if the Penguins do get Eric Carlson, what does the number one power play look like? Oh, man. You know, you know how long I've been hoping nobody would ask this question. I had to at least parenthetically bring this up in a column that I wrote for DK Pittsburgh Sports a couple days ago, weekly drive to the net analysis that I do. Hope you can check that out, by the way. And I, in the process of writing it, boxed myself into a corner where I had to at least bring it up. 
And I had to acknowledge that, for example, Carlson was able to do something nobody thought he'd be able to do in San Jose, which was to share points with Brent Burns. The two found ways to work together, uh, both of them obviously being incredible offensive defensemen. And that's to the credit of both of them, as well as San Jose's coaching staff for figuring that out. So I kind of used that as a cheat code to say, well, here's how Carlson and Chris Letang can coexist because it's happened before. We've seen Tanger be effective on the left side. You have too. And if you need a little bit of a refresher on that, try to think back to Connor Sherry's overtime goal against the Sharks in the 2016 final. The one that Sid scripted before the faceoff. Remember that? Remember who was behind Sid in that left circle? Yeah, it was Latang. And Latang's job was to find a seam to slip it through to Sherry at the top of that left circle from the left point. And the whole thing went off like that. I mean, like Sid drew it up. It's one of the great moments of Sid's career in which all he did was win a draw. So Latang can do that. Carlson can do anything offensively. And yeah, that left me with the same problem. I ended up slamming my figurative forehead against a cement wall because you've got Sid, you've got Gino, you've got Jake. Gino can obviously play up front. He's actually done that more than people will realize on the power play. But he's been on the point for a while now. And he loves to have his license. He loves to have his freedom. And not being at that point, he might not have as much of it. I know that sounds weird because you would think he'd have more freedom by having less defensive responsibility being up front. But in Gino's case, he wants more ice. And out at the points, he can kind of drift around, uh, slide over to the right side for that big one-timer or whatever. As we've seen him do a lot of different things. It would be an adjustment to move him up. Sid... Uh, this, this is another debate we've had for a long, long time. Sid likes to be on the right half wall. I don't believe that he's a great half wall performer. Not a bad one. He's Sid. But I don't think he's a great one. I think when you put him down by the goal line, closer to the net, he becomes a great power play performer. And then there's Jake. On one hand, you can say, well, you need some kind of net front presence. You've now got not one, but Two guys out there at the points, one of whom, and Carlson, excels in putting the puck right on your blade for deflections and rebounds like nobody else that anyone's seen in the NHL over the past 20 years. So would you not have someone in front providing that target for him? You can ask Sid or Gino to do that. What about Jake? He'll get murdered there. Ricard Raquel isn't afraid to go to the front of the net, but he's not exactly a net front specialist. So, yeah, man, you're not going to hear me say this too often, but I've got nothing for you. I've just a blank stare. And I'll bet you you'd get the same reaction right now if you cornered either Mike Sullivan or Todd Reardon on this. They would just look at you and go, wow, man, we have no idea. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow. 